Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Hope you guys are having a wonderful Sunday. It's a bit dreary. Uh, before we go into today's passage, I just want to say a little hello. Normally we'd be able to say hello to one another. We cannot um, because we are having worship over Zoom, but I hope that we can Say hello to one another. If you have anything that you're going through right now, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I'm here for you. Uh, I'm not the most free person in the world, but I will always make time. So, yes, we're continuing through the sermon series on Romans. Romans. We are continuing through the sermon series on Romans, and we will be reading through Romans chapter 10. Uh, Romans chapter 10. So if you guys can open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 10. Today's sermon technically covers from Romans 9, from Romans chapter 9, verse 30, all the way to the end of Romans chapter 10. But I'm, I'm going to be skipping through a little bit of Romans chapter 10, uh, and then we'll go into uh, congregational prayer before I start. I'm reading from the ESV Romans is after... The book of Acts, it's before the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, this is the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? 
First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you just join me in praying? God, uh, this chapter is your chapter. It is your word. And Father, as we go into the rest of Romans for the rest of our time that we are together, God, um, at reading the book of Romans, um, Lord, I just pray that every single person in this room, in this, in this call, wherever, uh, whatever spaces that every person who is listening inhabits, God, I just pray that you would bless those spaces right now. I pray for those who are distracted. I pray, God, that you would help them to be alert and awake. God, I pray for those of us who are struggling with our faith, that we would see you and acknowledge you above all. God, I pray for those who are opening their hearts up to you. God, that they would be willing to see how you love them, how you have called them according to your perfect will. Abba, I pray that you would hide me behind your cross that it is only you who is magnified and glorified. Lord, would you heal me? Would you set me free? In order that I may not preach out of brokenness or bondage, but that I would preach your word out of your truth, out of your freedom. Abba, this is completely you. So Jesus, I just pray that you would speak into the hearts of those who are listening. We believe that you are real, that you walk with us, and we give all glory and honor to you right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, let's just jump right in, shall we? Um, before we go into the sermon, the title of the sermon is Hearing But Not Receiving. The title of the sermon today is Hearing But Not Receiving. And the, and the main idea is the last will be first and the first will be last. So up until this point, there is a lot of underlining and defining that Paul does about salvation and about faith. And up until this point, he's explaining everything that is going on you know, what it means to believe in God and be saved by faith, what it means to walk as a child of the light, what it means to receive your sonship, to be able to cry out to God and say, Abba, Father, the fact that God's demonstration of his love for us is on the cross, the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then Romans 10 outlines, given all of these things, Romans 10 outlines some things that we might have felt, felt like we've heard our whole lives. And it's just talking about salvation and who gets to heaven and who doesn't. A lot of the times we think this, so this passage has been misquoted a lot um, for, it's been misquoted a lot for, um, I think somebody's trying to get into the room. Uh, 
it's been misquoted a lot for uh, like missionary conferences and whatnot. It's just been misquoted a lot. But um, this passage is actually about Israel. And before we read this passage, I want I want us to think really, really seriously about the ways that we the ways that we hear God, but we don't receive God. Um, what I mean by that, I'll, I'll explain that actually in a little bit. So first, well, let's talk about the problem of Israel, the problem of Israel. So, uh, I'm just going to read Romans chapter nine, verses 30, uh, to 33 really quick for context. Romans chapter nine, verse 30 says, what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And... This is talking about the condition of Israel before Romans 10 is talking about the difference between Jews and Gentiles for the rest of the chapter. So the problem of Israel. What is the core problem with Israel right now? Paul desperately asks, he says, I wish that they would be saved because they have zeal for God, but not knowledge. What is the problem of Israel? Israel has this giant misunderstanding about God. And it's that they somehow can be righteous. So it's this, this first misunderstanding that their chosenness is about ethnicity. It's an ethnic composition. And they are in this place where they are seeking their own righteousness. They are seeking out what they believe to be right, but actually ignoring God's righteousness. And Paul says that they have zeal for God, but they lack knowledge because although they are zealous to be right with God, to be righteous is to be, the, to be in right standing with, they are zealous to have righteousness but they have no knowledge of how to get there and then paul quotes he says as it is written behold i am laying in zion a stone assembling and a rock of offense and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame you ever meet somebody that have missed the point Have you ever met anybody that has missed the point? Uh, the f I'm, I'm, I I'm so sorry, Greece. I am so sorry. Um, I'm, I'm going to use a more lighthearted example and then we'll use a more heavy example. We've been playing a lot of Among Us in um, SNG. For those of you guys who know, you know. And because <laughs> um, SNG right now these days, what we do is we eat together, we catch up, and then we play games. And we've been playing a lot of Among Us together and it's been really, really fun. But one thing that has emerged from a bunch of us 
you know, older people uh, playing among us is that sometimes we're really, really, really bad at the game. Like, for example, I, I don't know how to be an imposter. I just don't. If I, if I see that I'm an imposter, I basically, my internal, I internally freak out and I just can't breathe anymore. And everybody's like doing their tasks and I'm like, how do I do my tasks? How do I stay on? And then by the time I self-report myself, I'm just, you know, confessing um, that it's me and that we should probably start over. And so, so, you know, we're not, we're not the best at this game, but one person in particular that cracks me up, uh, with Among Us is Grace. And the reason for that is, um, Grace, Grace and I fall in a similar category. We're not very good at being imposter, right? Uh, so we, so we, we're, we're, we're most likely, if we're chilling, we're most likely crewmates. Um, but Grace sometimes acts really sus because uh, she is so intent. I Oh, actually, I didn't. Do you guys all know how to play Among Us? Um, if you guys don't know how to play, just for some of you guys who might not know how to play Among Us, it's basically Mafia uh, on a on a in a game, in a virtual game. Uh, you complete tasks and there, there are these imposters who are going around with the objective of killing people while the people are trying to finish the tasks to keep the ship alive. And so it's called like crewmates. Um, versus imposter so it's like mafia but in a game it's like you see like you see the person's body being chopped in half it's really cute though i don't know how that could ever be cute anyway um in order to just you, you when you see the graphics you'll understand what i'm saying it's very it's very pg um but yes so that's what we've been playing and one thing about grace that is so funny because you know normally that doesn't happen um, but it's that, so crewmates have to do tasks, right? So while the imposter's goal is to kill people, the crewmate's goal is to complete tasks. Like, I don't know, play like mini games within the game to like complete what they have to do as a part of the people on ship. It's like chores, um, that are games, um, small games, microscopic games, but Grace in her fervor to finish the mini games, she, when you, so when you see a dead body, you can report the dead body. This is a very long winded illustration. I have to explain the whole game. Um, but when you see a dead body, you report the body and then people go into discussion. It's not like, oh, you sleep and then you wake up kind of like mafia. You have to report bodies, find bodies and report them in order for there to be, um, discussion. And after, at the end of the discussion, everybody has to vote on who they think is the imposter. And that person gets ejected from the game. Right now. The bodies have to be reported for there to be conversation, but in the midst of doing her tasks, Grace just walks right past all the dead bodies. And at the end of the game, there leaves a lot of people exasperated. Like Wesley is looking at me from the back. Wesley gets really annoyed playing with Grace at the, at the end of an hour because she'll have walked over his dead body multiple times, completing the tasks, even though the objective is the game of the game is to get the imposter out, but she's focused on the tasks and missing the dead bodies. Um, sometimes now I'm not saying that Grace has missed the point. I don't know where I'm going with that. Um, no, I do know. It's not that she's missed the point, but maybe she's so, you know, sometimes we're so focused on one thing <laughs> that we, we neglect a minor detail that ends up not being so minor. Um, and I, I completely relate to Grace because I am the same way. Um, but it's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> yes. So there are these instances like what, I mean, that's, that's a funnier note, but that's a funnier, like a real funny, Grace is not, 
I'm sorry, Grace. <laughs> it's just, you know, when you walk over. Anyway, um, that that's a funnier example. But what about a more serious one, right? Um, have you ever met anybody that has missed the point? Um, maybe. So I... I In college, I um, was not very, was not always a very, <laughs> in college, I was not always a very um, holy person, right? And I think because of where I've been and how broken I've been in the past and how much I've gone through in the past, the way that I approach, I'm sure you guys noticed this, but the way that I approach ministry is honest, it's vulnerable. and be, the reason for that is because I believe, I sincerely believe that the church doesn't need any more pastors who are holy, but they need pastors that they can follow. Um, you know, the point of salvation, the point of koinonia, the point of community is to do faith together and to do life together. Even if that means that I am a more broken person and that the people in North Boston see my flaws that will only make me more relatable um, and it will only encourage people to follow Christ in the footsteps that I am walking because it's not that a life with Jesus is un, un, unobtainable, but that it's for everybody. And that's, that's my, my own personal philosophy of ministry, right? My own personal theology when it comes to being a pastor. Um, and in college, I was still very much this person, but I was surrounded by a lot of people who had grown up, you know, in the church, had grown up, you know, very contained in very contained environments within suburbia. I had grown up in Manhattan, but most people had grown up in, you know, Long Island or a deeper Long Island. And so uh, a lot of people were stuck in this mentality of, you know, go to church, put up this front, seem as holy as you can, don't share about what you're actually going through. Um, and it was to the point where, you know, even though it's a college ministry where everybody's peers, you go off to these retreats and 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 people are so keen on being a leader and having that be some sort of some sense of superiority over another person, even if they're the same age. Um, and I got into a lot of fights with people in college ministry, not because I think that, you know, their love for God is wrong, but sometimes that. In the midst of following God and in the midst of serving God's people, we might miss the point in the goal. The goal is not for people to think that you're holy. The goal is not for you to look as best as you can while you're figuring it out along the way. That's not the goal. The goal is to follow God with integrity and honesty. The goal is to walk with other people who are also broken. The goal is to come to God just as we are. But in church, we're often told to fake it till you make it, you know, in some sense, to act like nothing's wrong, to not show any of what's going on. But the goal in community is to walk together 
Sometimes in the midst of trying to be faithful, we miss the point of what it means to be Christian. And sometimes when we're serving and we're especially in leadership positions, we miss the point of what it means to walk with people. We think that it means to lead by example one way, but actually it might mean to lead by example another way. Now I am still learning this myself because it's difficult. Um, I am, I myself have lots and lots of insecurities and, and I, sometimes I break at the idea of, you know, North Boston seeing too much of me. Um, but what God comes and humbles me with and encourages me with is that I am not your God. I am not supposed to be the per perfect example of what it means to be Christian. That's Christ. And we are just walking together encouraging one another, exhorting one another, spurring one another on in the faith. Sometimes when we are leaders or when we're not leaders and when we're just serving or whatever it may be, sometimes we miss the point. Sometimes when we see other people that are holy, right? We, or sometimes when we see other people that are holy, we want to be like them. So we start acting like them. Sometimes when we see other people that have not necessarily always done the right thing, we tend to look at them like, why are they doing that? What's wrong with them? But the reality is, sometimes in the midst of following God, we might miss the point altogether. Right? When someone, when just like, and, and, and the last verse uses this example, like when someone is walking so intently that they fall over a rock right in front of them without looking. In a cute, endearing way, it's like grace when she plays among us, right? But in a not, in a very serious way, outside of the realm of jokes, past our jokes and past our laughs, it's a very, very scary thing. It's endearing in among us, but it might not be as endearing in real life, especially when it comes to walking together. Now, just a disclaimer, I'm not saying that Grace does this. I'm just saying that Grace, in her cute way, uh, <laughs> doesn't report. <laughs> anyway, um, so that's Israel's problem, is that they have now gotten to this point where they have looked at God and looked at God's law and have been so keen on being the right person to follow God's law that they have missed God himself. Sometimes, guys, sometimes, that way, that, that is a word that some people need to hear because sometimes in the midst of trying our best to cross all our T's and dot all our I's and be the perfect leader that we can be, we might miss God. Sometimes in the midst of all of your plans, all of what you wanna do, all of the ways that you have decided you are gonna follow God, you might miss God altogether. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. Those are wonderful things. Please do them. But if you are trying to be the perfect Christian to the point where you miss God, if you are trying, if you are fixated on the law of God and doing what is right, 
to the point where you miss God? What if God doesn't care about you being right as much as he cares about your life? What if he wants more than your Sundays? What if he wants more than your Saturdays? What if he wants more than your home group times three times once every three weeks? What if he wants more than your discipleship? What if he wants you? But you might have been so focused on doing things that you might have missed him. That is what Israel has done. They're zealous. But they were so zealous, so keen on following God's law that they missed the person that God's law was pointing to. Sometimes we're so keen on obeying, being the right Christian in practice, being peaceable with everybody, serving and being selfless, following in the example of Christ, that we miss the gospel of grace and freedom. Sometimes we act in these ways. We live out certain things that are consistent with the Christian life to the point where we miss God's grace and freedom and love that our actions and our obedience are supposed to flow from. You might wonder, Jane, though, isn't Israel doing their best? I'm sure they are, and I'm sure God honors that. But I think the point is that they are actually doing all of these things without actually acknowledging God. Um, Paul refers again to this problem that Israel has in Philippians 3.9 when he explains his own life as a righteousness of his own that comes from the law. A righteousness of his own that comes from the law. He was convinced that his obedience to the law was necessary to confirm God's gift of righteousness through the covenant. That his own work was necessary to maintain the covenant. So Paul is not saying this in a way where he's attacking the Jews without actually considering himself. He actually explains his own life that way. He said he had a righteousness of his own that came from the law, but that he had missed God. That he thought his own works was necessary to confirm God's gift of righteousness. And in doing so, had missed the point. Now, some of you guys might be thinking, well, I'm not like that. And I can't, I don't, I honestly don't know. But if you have ever put up a front in church, if you have ever served to hide what you were going through, if you have ever chased after God to make up for your lack, your sin, like, oh God, I'm so sorry that I did this. I'm going to read more today. Yes, that's great. But if you're assuming, like, that's great that you're reading more. That's great that you're coming before the Lord if it's relational. But if you're assuming that by somehow, by, that by reading more Bible or that by doing more practices, somehow you get to negate the works that you have done against God. That's not how grace works. You read more and you walk in Christ's love because he forgave you. Not because that'll somehow nullify your disobedience. 
How are, there are nuance. The reason why I'm spending so, so much time on the problem of Israel, even though there are like, you know, 15 other verses, is because the nuance of this is really important. You must not miss the fact that you can do this too. And the fact that while it might not be that you seek that you are thinking that your righteousness comes from works, your actions could be communicating that you believe that God's love for you is transactional. Then you might be missing the point. You have to understand, God loves you and has called you as his child. That's it. He did that for you before you knew him. He did that for you before you knew him and he knew your whole life. He knew every sin that you were going to commit every day. And he did that for you before you were born. There is nothing you can do that will change your level of righteousness, that will change how great of a leader you are, that will make you more appealing, more righteous, more holy, more faithful. The point of obeying God and being in relationship to God is that it is a response. What are the ways that you have been so intent on following God that you have stumbled over the stone of offense? What are the ways that you have run so faithfully towards the Lord that you have missed the point? Paul says here that Christ is the end of the law, the culmination of the law. Everything wraps up in Christ, that righteousness might be available to everyone who believes. So the problem with Israel that they, is that they have missed the point. That maybe they were acting like a good person before they saw God. That maybe they were trying their best to act a particular way but in the midst of that, missed the point of God's love for them. That they were so keen on doing what was right. That they missed grace altogether. Well, Jane Doe, if that's not, if that's not, what it means to be Christian, then what does? Verse 11 talks about how trusting in the Lord will bring vindication in the judgment, will not put you to shame. The rest of the chapter goes into the steps of salvation, hearing the word of God, believing, calling upon the name of the Lord. It goes on, blessed are the feet of those 
and preach the good news. Now we've heard this over and over and over again. But to be, to be clear, salvation comes in hearing, believing, and calling. Hearing the word of God, believing in our hearts. That is to receive God. And to profess that in our hearts. That's it. That is the basis of your qualification. Are you a leader that is overzealous for God and might have missed God? Maybe this is discouraging for you to hear. Maybe you might have missed the point in your service. But here's your qualification to be a leader, to be a follower of Jesus, to continue to pursue him because he pursued you first. It's just that hearing, believing, calling. That's it. The point of the gospel is that it is effortless. And I'm not saying like effortless as in like our human definition of it, but just simply that is that it is without your human effort. Now, you might be like, no, but Jane though, like we learn that we have to work on our relationship with God. And I say, yes, in that sense, Sanctification and the process of walking with the Lord takes as much effort as any other relationship might in your life. It's a relational thing. But what I mean by effort is your wages. God's love is not transactional. This is not a code book that you follow. Maybe you have been taught the gospel that way. Maybe your leaders have raised you up to cross all your T's and dot all your I's. Maybe you were taught a particular way of leadership from Arise, from North Boston, from whatever church that you are a part of. Maybe you were taught to store it and ignore it and to come into church and act perfect. Your qualification as a person is just the gospel. Us reading the Bible and praying. Like when you really love somebody, do you consider talking to, that, to them to be effort? Sometimes talking to my parents requires me to have effort. Sorry, mom and dad. It, it takes a lot of, I love you. Um, but when you really love somebody, I really love you guys. When you really love somebody, when you're with a significant other, 
or maybe when you're with a friend that you love dearly, does talking to them, do you consider that effort? The gospel is effortless in the sense that it comes from a deep relationship. And the fact that your basis, the basis of the relationship, the foundational principle of the relationship is effortless. Yes, it might take time for you to pursue God. It might take time for you to engage in a relationship with God, to remind yourself of his love, to be able to engage in spiritual disciplines. But at the end of the day, the basis for that relationship is not based on your effort. Which means the basis of your leadership is not based on your effort. The basis of you being an older sister or brother to somebody is not based on your effort. The qualification that you have as a righteous child of God is not based on your effort. But sometimes we are so keen on, and I, I believe, you know, I've preached on this, you know, don't confront the lie with knowledge, confront the lie with the truth, walk in the truth, claim God before the breakthrough has happened. And all of this is true, but sometimes we are so keen on walking the right steps that we miss grace. In that sense, sometimes the thing that will take the most effort in your relationship with God is not actually your salvation, but your, but trying to believe in your salvation when doubt hits you. Sometimes what will take the most effort is to turn your eyes upon Jesus. Because we are so prone to wander. And even when we are walking in the truth, sometimes we get so focused on ourselves and our footsteps that we miss God. And then we get weary. And then we get burnt out. And we ask God, why am I burnt out? Why am I so weary? But it's because you're focused on your own damn feet. That you have missed God. Now this, this chapter is an indictment of Israel. They have not believed. And actually, the rest of this chapter, as it talks about, like, who, who can believe if they have not heard all of these things? It's actually, what it's actually talking about is, um, what it's actually referring to is the surprising repentance and positivity, positive response and reception of Christ by the Gentiles. This is where we come to the main idea of this sermon. The last will be first and the first will be last. We're seeing here that sometimes the most prodigal, the most wayward of the children of God might be the children that were there all along in the church from the beginning. It might be easier for somebody who has gone too far, for somebody who has seen the extent of their sin to approach God and to 
revisit and re-enter into relationship with him. Sometimes the people who might be the most far from receiving and remembering Christ in their lives are the people that have sat in the front row their whole lives. Israel were the chosen ones from the beginning. Israel were the initial people to receive the Abrahamic covenant. But they are the ones to miss the point. They were the ones that were exodus out of Egypt. They were the ones that crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground and then through the Jordan River. They were the ones that were promised the promised land. They were the ones that were under King David. They were the ones that saw the miracles of Isaiah and of Elijah. And yet they are the ones that miss the point. And yet the people who were never chosen, the people who pagan worshipped, the people who had no idea who God was, the crooks and the liars, they're the ones who receive Christ. Because the last will be first, and the first will be last. This reminds me of a parable in Luke 15 called the prodigal son, where the youngest son goes out, renounces. I, I can't get into it right now. I, it's a sermon in and of itself. If you want to hear more about what Luke 15 is, you probably ask Arise for a dwelling place recording. I think I preached on it then. Um, but, or, or John preached on it then. Um, and oftentimes in that part, in that parable, the focus seems to be on the younger son. The focus seems to be on the fact that God ran after the younger son when the younger son had denounced him and the younger son had come crawling back. But actually, the parable continues. So there's this one, to sum it up, there's this one younger son who does whatever the heck he wants. He says, Dad, you're dead to me. Give me your money so I can do what I want I want to do what you are asking me to do. Takes his inheritance, he squanders it off, he comes back, he has no money, so dirt poor, he's dirty, he's filthy. And he says, you know, I'm going to crawl back into my father's house a slave. He won't take me as a son because, you know, I've excommunicated him, but, you know, maybe he'll take me as a slave. And as he comes a long way off, the father comes and he embraces him, even though the son had completely denounced him, even though the son had completely completely thrown him aside. The father bends over backwards to embrace the son. And it's a story of beautiful love. And sometimes a lot of us, we, we stop there. But the parable actually continues on to the elder son, the son who is good, the good child, 
the one who had always obeyed his parents, the one that had always done things for his parents, the one that had done all the errands, all the chores. And he goes to dad, or when, when the dad holds this feast that his lost son is now found, the elder son doesn't come in. And the father comes out being like, why aren't you going inside? This is disgracing our family. The elder son goes, how are you going to give this guy a calf? I have worked for you my whole life and I have not been given a feast like this. And the father looks at him incredulous. He says, son, everything I own is yours. And he invites him back into the banquet. And that's where the parable ends. The parable ends on an invitation for the elder son to come back. We think that that parable is about the ones who are wayward. But it's actually for the elder son. I always say this, but even for a testimony like mine, it's easy for me to be able to see that God is good because I've been through so much. But sometimes the people who are in most danger of missing the point are the people who have been at the feet of Jesus all their lives, who have stored and ignored, who have focused on their actions to the point where they have missed God. In the parable, well aware of this tendency. Because at the heart of that elder son, there is some level of transactionalness. God, I did this for you. Where is my reward? There is some level of self-centeredness. And it goes into, especially with the elder son, it goes into the fact that in some sense, the younger son was a better was in a better place even when he was squandering money away than the elder son. Because while the younger son was honest to his presuppositions and to what he wanted to do and he was showing it, the elder son had concealed his selfishness. And Luke 15 is an invitation for the elder son, just as much as it is an invitation for the younger sons. I got saved by that passage. I was a younger son, but as I became more and more mature in my walk with God, I began to see how I can very well be the elder. Sometimes it is the people that have been doing everything for the Lord all this time that are in the most danger of missing the point. And yet, God is still calling out for you. Even while your heart is hardened, even while you're going through the motions, but your heart is hardened, even though you're trying to do what's right while missing the fact that God is trying to find you, even while you're doing all the right things while rejecting allowing God into your heart or into your life in a way that is vulnerable for you, God is still calling after you. He is still running after you. He is sprinting after you. That's the God that we worship. That's the problem that Romans 10 deals with. And then Paul talks about the remnant. Only the remnant will believe. Not everybody, a remnant. It's a scary thing but it's also very sobering. 
It helps us to realize the gates of heaven is not a golden gate that everybody walks through if they're good. Because we are not good. We learned that in Romans 3. Some of you guys, just to clear up some parts of the passage, some of you guys might be like, oh, so then do you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Uh, when it says in, in verse, uh, where is it? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, when, oh, for with the heart one is justified, believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, that verse 9 through, uh, I believe it was like 13, 14, um, where it says, oh, I have to confess with the mouth. In, in the Old Testament, the heart and the mouth were attached. So whatever was in the heart came out through the mouth. And so it's, it's believing in the heart that is needed to bring one into the kingdom of God. But I will say, that when your mouth professes, like when I still have doubt, I still say, God, I believe you. Help me to believe you. I believe you. I believe that you are real. And the reason why I profess my faith is because when the ear hears the truth that the mouth is speaking out, it produces faith within you. There is something powerful about speaking forth your faith. So I just wanted to clarify the whole mouth heart thing. But at the, at the core, we have to understand where we stand. Who do you relate to? The Jews or the Gentiles? Who do you relate to? I relate to both. I think relating to both is fine. Trust in the Lord. And don't be put to shame. Stop doing things just because it's right. Don't miss God. As much as it is important to do what's right, God doesn't care about whether or not... He doesn't care about that stuff more than He cares about you. He's holy. He's already set apart, apart, holy, 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 it says in Isaiah chapter 6. It's not like you doing all the right things is going to somehow break through all the holy, holy, holies to put you on the standard of God. If that were true, then Jesus wouldn't have died. God is not out to have the best functioning acting humans. God wants us to come just as we are. He wants our hearts. To some of you guys, this is a challenge, and to some of you guys, this is an encouragement. Have you not been acting in line with the gospel? Have you been fearing that God would leave you because of the, some of the things that you've been doing these days? Some of the thoughts that you've been thinking? Have you been afraid of trusting God these days for whatever reason it might be? God is not going to leave you. The basis and the qualification 
of who you are as a daughter, of who you are as a son, of who you are as a brother or sister, of who you are as a leader, is not your action. It's God. Stop trying to seek out your own righteousness. It's a certain form of religious zeal when we do all the right things in the Bible. Remember who you are and who God is. That's my definition of humility. Humility is knowing exactly who God is and exactly who I am. Humility might mean, might mean saying thank you when somebody compliments the gifts that God has given me. Humility also means to give glory where it's due, to know my place, because it's not because I am a good person that I am standing here in the pulpit before you. It's because God is a good God. And I might mess up. I might hurt you. You might hurt me. Relationships, community can't be perfect and the relationships in these communities can't be perfect because humans can't be perfect. I don't know what your expectations of people are. I don't know if you hold that same expectation for yourself as you do to other people. Maybe you hold other people to a higher pedestal than you do yourself. Quick to show yourself grace, but not another person. That will translate into you hounding on yourself when you're far from God. To give up faster, because there's no point. You're too far. The basis of your identity as a Christian is not based on yourself. What does that look like in practice? It means lowering your expectation of individuals. When your expectations are disproportionate to the finitude of human beings, that harms the person and that harms yourself. Nobody that can be there for you 100% outside of God. Everybody has their own limits. They have their own struggles. That's okay. You do too. Know yourself well enough to know what human beings are and don't put the expect don't put the expectations that you would have on God on the people that you love. And then wonder why they are disappointing you. That's not fair. Don't measure the righteousness of yourself by other people transactionally. Don't judge them. Don't be judge, jury, and executioner. Don't put yourself where only God can go. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord and don't be put to, sh to shame. I, when I was younger, I read a lot of Proverbs because I was really afraid that God would stop loving me. Uh, I remember hearing like that not everybody at church goes to the kingdom of heaven. 
in fourth grade and all of fourth grade my one prayer was god am i in the kingdom of heaven and i read proverbs every day for that year because proverbs has 31 chapters so i just started a like like today is the 28th so you read proverbs 28 and then you jump back to chapter one in march and then you read through because uh, you'll get to all of them at different points um It was silly of me, not just because that's not how God works, but also because that was so works righteousness of me as a young girl. I, I didn't know any better. It was the way I was taught. But even now, after knowing fully that God loves me and he calls me just as I am, there's a blessing that comes out of the time that I was so religious back then. And it's this verse, trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Sometimes the practicality of not missing God is trusting in the Lord and leaning not on our own understanding and in everything that we do, acknowledging him. Maybe you're going through a tough season, acknowledge him. Maybe you're going through a dry season where you feel far from God, acknowledge him. Wait on him. Trust in him. You're his child. You have every right to do that. We are so close to God. We don't need, we don't need to worry. He bears our burdens. He calls the weary. Our burden, his burden is easy and light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So for those of you guys who are wondering, Jane, I do do this. I don't know how to admit it to anybody else, but in my heart, I'm aching because there are definitely moments where I do this. And to you, I say, hey, I'm right there with you. I do that too. If I don't catch myself, it's so easy, you know, to um, try to read more to make up for what I did that day or to be really hard on myself when, when I've disappointed one of you guys. And, you know, just measuring my worth by my works. It's so easy to fall into. It's just the blink of an eye. All of the world around you is, you know, giving you that message. Like, don't be hard on yourself. Show yourself grace. Um, but trust in the Lord. Don't just sit there. Don't just acknowledge where you are and then sit in it. Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. God cares. One thing I know about God is that more than the way to where you get to he cares about how you got there and so even if you're like you know i don't know where god is taking me in my life i don't know what i'm going to do after college i don't know what's going to happen in the future if you acknowledge god on the way you will be so surprised at where god takes you if you trust in god on the way you will be so surprised at where you end up Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. You can do that because he loves you. The gospel is effortless. 
Your qualification is effortless. And maybe you have walked, tried to walk so intently in the walk of a Christian that you might have stumbled over God. If that's you, get up. Look at your God again. Come to learn who you are in light of who he is. Trust in him. And he will give you rest. Because God, God is with us. Christ carries us forevermore. Might not be practical, might not be step by step. Why don't you start there? If you say, let's just take some time to pray. Um, maybe for you right now, you might be thinking, Jane, I don't know how to trust. If that's you, that's okay. That's okay. We can start by being in communion with him again. We can walk back towards him. Luke 15 ended on an invitation to the elder son. Just take this moment. Why don't we just lift up our prayers to God right now? Ask him to just be with us. Maybe some of us need, need to tell God, sorry, sorry that I've lost sight of you. Sorry that I have forgotten you. Sorry that I have been so keen on doing what is right in my own eyes that I have missed you. Listen for God's love for you. Listen for his grace, his embrace for you in this moment. Take steps, small baby steps. As, not as, you know, 20 some year olds, not as, you know, 15 year olds or, you know, wherever you are, not as an older human, but as a small child of God. Take small steps towards God. Would you be willing to walk towards God with me? Let's just take this moment to walk towards God and begin to trust in Him, to repent where we need to repent, to lay down where we need to lay down. Let's pray. God, we're asking for From wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.